You are listening to a production of WRCT Pittsburgh. Any opinions expressed within are solely those of the participants and do not reflect the views of WRCT Radio Incorporated. Questions and comments can be addressed to the Public Affairs Director at PA at WRCT.org or by calling 412-621-0728. Hey everybody, this is Ellis. And Daniel. Right now, you are listening to I Wonder. If you're listening, you probably already know this, but at the beginning of each week, we start out with one question. And we spend the rest of the episode trying our best to answer that question. That's how our show works. Before we get to that, though, we want to play for you a story. This story, it doesn't even seem to be related to the question for this week, which we haven't even told you yet. Trust us, though, because it is. Here's geology professor Charles Jones of the University of Pittsburgh. There's an interesting story with uh, Darwin. Darwin, when he went on his his voyage around the world, um, he was the the ship's naturalist. Uh, They weren't specialized yet into geology and biology and so forth. And so he went along, and, and, and the captain was actually uh, interested in having a gentleman on board because the, the previous captain had, had committed suicide. <laughs> so he thought maybe having some companionship on this long voyage might be uh, helpful. So uh, Darwin came along, and of all the notes he took, about 1,400 pages were geology notes, and about 400 pages were biology notes. So kind of in his spare time, he revolutionized biology. His main focus <laughs> was, was geology, and, and that's where he, he made his reputation first. So one of his um, experiences was he was uh, off the coast of, of Chile, and um, uh, while they were ashore, there was a huge earthquake. He noticed in the immediate aftermath that uh, that the shore was all this uh, rock was exposed, and on the rock were all these things that live in the ocean, you know, say sea anemones or corals or whatever. And he realized that before the earthquake, they were, you know, roughly um, three feet underwater, and now they were exposed above water. And this happened in a heartbeat as a result of this earthquake. So he went, wow. It was like a meter of uplift, just like that. And then you could look up, and there's the Andes. Say they're 3,800 meters. One earthquake, one meter, and then there's 3,800 meters. Well, if you had one earthquake every 100 years or 200 years, and you have geologic time to spin things out, he could... You could just see, you could just build the, the Andes, sort of a big earthquake at a time. Small changes acting over a long time can, can produce big changes. And of course, this idea that eventually is brought back into evolution. Small changes, long periods of time, new species. All right, what's our question for this week, Ellis? Okay, I thought of this while riding my bike. And by riding my bike, I mean truly, honestly suffering on my bike. <laughs> okay. Daniel, you know this, but... I'm from Columbus, Ohio, which is the flattest city, uh, basically, that exists in the world. And (laughs) the bike that I brought from Columbus to Pittsburgh is a single speed, meaning that it has no gears. And so this spring, I've been riding around, enjoying the beautiful weather, and cursing the hills in Pittsburgh (laughs) and dying on them. Understandably. Okay, so let's have it. What's the actual question? Okay, so the question is, where in the city of Pittsburgh is the highest point on land. Ooh, I like that. That that seems like a question we can definitely answer. But first, let's go out and see where other people think it is. I'm going to say Mount Washington. I'm going to go with Greenfield. I, yeah, I would probably guess either the West End or Mount Washington, somewhere in that, up on the bluff. Oh, is it the observatory? Where do I hate running? Um, <laughs> the biggest pain in the butt hill is uh, in Squirrel Hill. 
probably maybe Squirrel Hill somewhere. Um, no. Mount Washington. What do you think? Squirrel Hill. North Hills. Probably would be, um, would you think Hilltop? What is it? Um, Prairie View? Oh, Mount Washington. Probably Mount Washington, yeah. We went downtown one morning and talked to this guy. I'm Michael Homo. I'm the GIS manager for the city of Pittsburgh. We figured with the help of a topographical map or something, he could probably help us out. Like the highest point on Mount Washington? You probably average in like around 1,100 feet above sea level. So a lot of people guess the water tower on the upper hill. How high is that? That is 1,240. So upper hill is higher than Mount Washington. Garfield, you have like 1,175. Greenfield, um, I think in the highest there is like 1,150. All of Squirrel Hill roughly is in the 1,100. The observatory is right here, which is like 1,160. Maybe the highest elevation in Perry North is 1,360 feet on this map. So is that our answer? I would think so, yes. So I'm on Perrysville Avenue biking right now to the highest point in the city. Just climbed off uh, Federal Street. Daniel's uh, kind of coming up behind me. I went ahead of him. Get on up here, Daniel. Where are we headed right now? We're heading to the highest point in Pittsburgh. Uh, to, <laughs> it's in Barry North. Uh, this is silly. We're in the middle of the road. We're biking right now. Ellis is, is uh, biking with one hand on his bike, one hand in the microphone pointing at my face. Here we go. Giddy up. <laughs> I just took a right onto Montana Street, which is the home to the highest point in the city of Pittsburgh. We came up Amos Way, which is a pretty steep hill. We are at this chain link fence, which is the home to some water towers, and we're officially at 1,360 feet above sea level, the highest point in the city. Daniel, kind of describe for us what you can see from up here. Yeah, it's actually really nice. Looking down Montana Street towards Amos Way, uh, there are no trees in the way because of the street going straight down, and you really have this spectacular view to really the edge of the earth. Okay, the, the edge of the earth in this case is probably at best Ohio, uh, which, which is to the west. One question that people might be having at this point is, okay, if I'm gonna go to the highest point in the city, is that view gonna beat out, you know, what all of our listeners thought was the highest point? Mount Washington, top of the Hill District. What do you have to say about that? So being up here is pretty cool because we can say we are at the highest point, but on Mount Washington, that's like a nice 180 degree view up here at the highest point on Montana Street. I only have maybe 15 degrees of viewing area to see. So probably not where I'm gonna take the visitors that come to see me in Pittsburgh. So going to the highest point in the city, very fun. Yeah, I mean, especially because it took us over to Perry North, a neighborhood on the north side of town, and I don't really get over there that much. Me neither, yeah. And and the trip there was cool. I mean, we biked up windy streets, steep hills, blood, sweat, tears. Sure. Know. It was the quintessential Pittsburgh journey for going to the highest point. But it kind of got me thinking, like, why, uh, you know? Uh, no, I don't know. Like, what? Why is there a highest point? Well, I mean, somewhere has to be the highest, right? Uh, of course, of course. But why is it there, you know? Why are there hills at all here? Okay. Why are they so steep, you know? Kind of like, you know, what's the story behind our landscape? Huh. 
All right, well, let's go back to our geology expert, the guy who told us that Darwin story, Charles Jones. Why is there a highest point in Pittsburgh? Well, John Harper, who just retired from the, the Pennsylvania Geological Survey, likes to say that in this area, there are no hills, only valleys. <laughs> the answer uh, just has to do with erosion, and somewhere had to end up the highest. <laughs> is that the answer you wanted? It sounds like the valleys here aren't that, they're not that different from the picture that I have and most people have in their head about the Grand Canyon. Is it okay to call them fairly similar? Uh, yeah, okay. it is, yeah. Let's start with one basic fact, one that I go pretty much every day of my life not thinking about, but it's a process that happens everywhere on Earth all the time. Daniel. Erosion. Exactly. Water runs over land, basically everywhere on Earth, and pushes rock and soil from high to low points. Yeah, even the Himalayan mountains, which are still growing higher and higher, are being eroded. And it's only a matter of time before the uplift that's forming those mountains stops, and they start shrinking because of erosion. Right, and so that is the dominant process forming the landscape here in Pittsburgh. The city of three rivers. We don't have fault lines forming mountains like in California or tectonic plates like in the Himalaya colliding. We do have rivers, though, and what you see today is the result of river erosion taking place over the last 15 million years about. Uh, there's a few catches that make Pittsburgh's erosion story a tad more complex. But it seems that in general, uh, you know, everyone knows that the Appalachian Mountains were made um, roughly 300 million years ago when, when Africa and North America collided. You put up this big mountain belt, and then they eroded down, and it seems that they eroded down fairly flat and something that most people do not know is that there seems to have been a renewed phase of uplift about, say, 15 million years ago. And as they uplifted, rivers started cutting down deeper into the landscape. So if you have, um, if you have nearly flat terrain, rivers can meander back and forth like the lower Mississippi River does. But if you start um, uplifting a part of the landscape, uh, the rivers tend to start cutting down into the landscape. It puts more of its erosive energy to getting to where it wants to go as opposed to just meandering lazily across the landscape. And if you look at a, a map of the Monongahela River, you'll see it makes great big loops, just like the lower Mississippi River does. Except the lower Mississippi River, it's in a very broad, flat area, whereas the Monongahela River is down, you know, say 400 feet below the hilltops. And so this river that was once meandering lazily across the landscape has cut down deep into its channel, and, and now you could almost consider it a fossil meandering river. So the first catch is that uplift. It raised the Allegheny Plateau and turned these lazy rivers into water slides, which enabled the rivers to erode the land around them more easily, creating the valleys. A second catch has to do with where the rivers flow. Now, we know that the Monongahela and the Allegheny flow into the Ohio west, but that has not always been the case. In this area, in Pittsburgh, there's another factor to the story, which is the Great Ice Ages. So it seems that the Allegheny River once flowed uh, north. The river would have flowed north into Lake Erie, and the Mon River uh, would have flowed as it does now from south to north from West Virginia, and would then you know, turn west around where Pittsburgh is now. It seems that it would have turned north at where about Beaver is, and would have also flowed into Lake Erie. But when the ice sheets came down, they came down and they blocked the, the ability of the rivers to flow north into Lake Erie because the ice sheets occupied Lake Erie. They came all the way down to Lake Arthur, for example. And so then the water is going to dam up, and eventually it's going to start flowing in some other direction. And it seems that then it started flowing down the modern Ohio River Valley. 
So erosion is kind of a super big deal. Super big deal. We're going to stop talking about it soon, but I have a story I think that we should share before we move on. I want to hear it. Okay, so to do that, we need to go back in time. We need to go to Edinburgh, Scotland during the 18th century and meet James Hutton. And who's this guy? James Hutton is this rising kind of academic star. He's a doctor, super sharp. He's living life to the fullest in this intellectual hub of a city. But he gets himself into a little bit of trouble. Uh-oh. So he gets a girl pregnant illegitimately and brings shame to his family. And he's forced to move out of Edinburgh, basically. And he inherits a farm, and so he moves out to the boondocks to become a farmer. Okay. And his interests kind of shift to things like meteorology, geology, agriculture. Stuff that farmers have to deal with. Exactly. And so another thing that a farmer does regularly is dig drainage ditches. Okay. So while he's doing this, he has this thought that worries him, which is all of the soil is washing from my field into this ditch. And it's probably being carried away some of it into a river, and rivers go to oceans, Basically, all of the good soil on Earth is eventually going to wash into the ocean. Okay, so erosion. Exactly, erosion. But he gets worried because now all of a sudden he's asking himself questions like, does God want everyone to starve because all of the good soil in the world is going to be gone soon? Is the Earth going to erode into nothing? Like big questions, worrisome questions. And he basically is like, no, I don't believe that that could happen. And so he goes on a quest and looks for sources of new earth that he believes must be there to replace what's being eroded away. Hmm. And wow. so, and yeah, it's awesome. And so he finds them. He finds sedimentary rocks. He finds volcanoes, which he's smart enough to realize are sources of new earth as well. Uh-huh. But all this comes from digging ditches and thinking about erosion. So how does this guy fit into today? He's still credited as like the first like the first to have these ideas. He was influential well beyond his death still even. He's influential to Darwin, to Charles Lyell, that geologist that Darwin talked to. So he's kind of the father, the founding father of geology. That, that's really cool. Next, we're gonna talk about some more Pittsburgh geology, the Marcellus Shale. You're listening to I Wonder on WRCT. Stay tuned, guys. Pennsylvania, unlikely epicenter of a new American gold rush. This could be the key to America's energy independence. Marcellus Shale, a rock formation that stretches across several eastern states, harbors huge reservoirs of untapped natural gas. Geologic forces not only left Pittsburgh's highest point at 1,370 feet above sea level, it created the Marcellus Shale, which takes us nearly 6,000 feet below the city. This got us wondering if the two were somehow connected. Typically, you find shale forming in deep ocean basins. So Pittsburgh's nowhere near an ocean. What's, what's going on there? Yeah, too bad about that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but this is not always the case. So the Marcellus Shale, when it was deposited, this, it was about um, 400 million years ago. That's Brian Stewart. That he works down the hall from Charles you know, Jones uh, and is also a geology professor at Pitt. Now, according to him, Pittsburgh used to be underwater. Yeah, and also located near the equator. Both of which are wild, but apparently true. 
The North American plate used to be much further south than it is now, and mostly underwater. So at about 400 million years ago, there was a kind of a continental collision going on to the east, which was forming what we think of now as the um, Appalachian Mountains. Mm. And as that land was uplifted, sediments were eroded from there and washed into the ocean toward the west and eventually settled out into this basin. Dude, so there's our good friend erosion again. Can't forget erosion. And there's also a bunch of ocean organisms. Remember, we're down near the equator and there's millions of years of sea life that's dying and slowly settling on the ocean floor. Yeah, and at the same time, you've got Earth from the Appalachians flowing into the basin, combining with all these decaying creatures and making mud. So it's essentially starts a deep ocean basin, more sediments come in, it gets filled in, shallower, it becomes kind of a marginal basin. It's, it's right on the uh, edge of a, of a shallow seaway, swamps becoming coal, and then um, more sediment comes in, and essentially you've got land after that. Hmm. So basically the Marcellus just gets buried over time? Is that, is that right? It gets buried by more sediment. So about 100 million years of, of sediment are sitting on top of the Marcellus. At this point, you've basically got all the ingredients you need to make natural gas. Decaying organic matter from all the marine life and thousands of feet of earth sitting on top of it. You're just missing one last thing. The, the key um, variable is, is really temperature. It does have to be heated up to about 180 degrees. Well, that'd be a maximum, essentially. So like 120, 160 is sort of the window where you convert that organic matter to oil and then gas. So, like, I could do that in my oven. Well, this is, this is degrees Celsius, mind you. But, but even so, yes, you could. Uh-huh. Um, you also need a few million years, though. So <laughs> you need to have a very good oven that will, with a good warranty. So I guess we kind of have an answer to that question. The Marcellus Shale and Pittsburgh's topography, they're not really related to uh, each other. I don't know. I mean, they sort of are if you take the fact that erosion is an important process in both of them. And neither of them could have happened without it. That's true. That's true. But still, the timescale is way different. The Marcellus has been buried under the surface of the Earth for the past 400 million years. It's a mile underground. Sure. And then our hills and valleys, those have been carved out over the past 2 million years. They don't really care that the Marcellus is way, way below the surface. It's a pretty significant age gap. But I do like your point that erosion basically is the most important thing that we talked about, and it ties everything that's happening in geology together. Before we end this episode, we have to take a real quick time out because we've kind of glossed over something. Yeah, we've been throwing out these immense numbers that really, we as humans, it's hard to comprehend. 400 million years to form the Appalachian Mountains. Like, to understand those numbers requires some sense of scale. And human beings have only been around for 200,000 years. The Appalachian Mountains have been around for 2,000 times longer than humans. As Charles Jones said in the beginning of this episode, and we'll bring it back to his Darwin story, small changes acting over geologic time produce big changes. We'd like to thank everyone for listening this week to our show on, uh, wait, what was our show about? I don't know, actually. Geology? 
I don't know. <laughs> kind of about geology. I don't know. We asked one question, which was, where's the highest point in Pittsburgh? And we found a simple answer, Perry North. But it was hard not to talk about all these other cool things. Yeah, you know? like Marcellus Shale, erosion, Charles Darwin. James Hutton. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess that's what happens sometimes when you ask a question. For I Wonder and WRCT Pittsburgh, I'm Ellis Robinson. I'm Daniel Tachik. We'll see you next time.